evening and welcome to the 453rd episode of Travel It's Radio. I'm your host, Dan Schlossberg, along with my friend and co-host, Mary Ellen Nugent-Lee, and this is the 11th season of Travel It's Radio, the show that lets you enjoy the pleasures of travel from the comfort of your armchair. Every week at this time, we talk to people representing destinations, hotels, airlines, railroads, car rental companies, and others in the world of travel and hospitality, from authors and bloggers to broadcasters and publicists. If it's got anything to do with travel, it's got everything to do with Travel Itch Radio. And tonight, we're pleased to welcome Aaron Chafee, Vice President of Hosteling International USA, to Travel Itch Radio. Welcome, Aaron. Dan, Mary Ellen, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to share a little about hostels, Hostel International USA, and to make it a little easy, we also go by High USA, so I'll probably use that much more than the mouthful of Hostel International USA tonight. Mm-hmm. Okay. For the uninitiated, including me, tell us about Hosteling International USA, what it is, where it is, and how many properties are involved. Sure. We're, we're a mix of large and small hostels in the U.S., uh, the concept is based on shared accommodations and great social spaces um, that, based on the sharing, allow more people financially to have affordable access to cities and scenic locations. Um, yeah, the sharing has typically been the concept of a bed in a shared dorm, and that does include bunk beds. Um, but uh, this concept of sharing, um, but for those that feel they've moved past the shared dorms concept, Uh, Don't worry. We also have private rooms, Um, and you still have the great uh, communal common spaces, including large guest kitchens with all the cooking tools and lots of space to store the cooking ingredients. Uh, The use of our kitchens make travel even more affordable. Uh, You you can go out for and splurge every once in a while, but you don't have to be eating every meal out. Um, For over 80 years, we've provided a network of affordable hostels and converted mansions, reinvented lighthouses, historic urban buildings uh, all across the country. And all of our hostels mm-hmm. meet industry-leading quality and sustainability standards. Um, and in addition to operating accommodations, we really believe in the experiential learning that can come from travel. And, and we work to layer on city tours and in-hostel programs and experiences so we go beyond just you know, a, bed in, uh, a bed to sleep in. Um, we're also, High USA is also a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, what, is, what does that mean, 501c3? Uh, yes, it includes tax treatments for donations, but it also means that we reinvest all of our operating surplus back into our hostels and programs so that we can have an even greater impact year after year. Um, uh, I must mention, um, after this, my surplus comment I just made, um, that like others in the travel sector, um, this COVID pandemic has made things tough this last two years um, on the finance side. Um, but the good thing is we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel of this thing. So, um, so hopefully that, that's a little bit about us. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it fair to say that HIUSA is the world's oldest and largest hostel brand, hosting more than a million guests per year? Yeah, Dan, uh, yes, for High USA for the U.S., and then there's a global hostel international, or High, uh, and that's the oldest and largest for the world. Um, to kind of help explain the global high, um, each country operates independently as a nonprofit in their own country, and then our shared values bind us together under the high brand. 
Um, high has roots going back over 100 years, and high USA is just shy of about 90 years. Um, prior to COVID, we hosted more than a, a million overnights with guests from more than 100 countries, and we're working to get back to that 1 million mark as the COVID pandemic um, recedes. Um, I, should, I should mention why we're talking here, though, that High or High USA doesn't own the term hostels. Um, so, so for context, prior to COVID, there were actually approximately 300 hostels in the U.S., but there's always a pretty liberal use of the term hostels for many, um, which means there's lots of variation, so folks should check things out a little bit. Um, but um, when they're planning a trip, um, but to help on this for tonight's discussion, I'm really focused on the high quality of the high hostels and the high USA hostels. Aaron, can you tell us how, when, and why hosteling got started? Yeah, it, it goes back quite a ways. Um, so it started in 1909 uh, in Germany uh, with a school teacher finding an approach to get his students out uh, from the industrial city to experience nature. Um, he started by organizing what we might now call, I guess, a walking field trip um, to the countryside. Um, not anything like nowadays with big yellow buses or big coaches or anything for a real trip. Um, and then somewhat by chance, on one of those trips, there was a massive storm, and they all, the whole class, needed to seek overnight cover and got creative with uh, finding access to a countryside school classroom uh, that they used for sleeping. Um, this quickly led to school teachers' ideas and to converting the idle countryside classrooms in the summer for more planned overnight excursions. Um, and then following World War One. Uh, a number of folks appreciated the concept of needing to understand the differences between cultures so we didn't have another world war. Obviously, as we all know, we, we had one after World War I, but there was this idea that we really need to introduce folks better to the different cultures uh, across, across the world. And, and through that, hosteling really uh, kind of got its deep roots in the cultural understanding um, between people through the 30s, started here in the, in the U.S. in 1934, and then after World War II, it just kind of really, there was a, a pause there, obviously, for World War II, and then it really kind of exploded, and then once we got um, jet travel and reduced um, air tickets, uh, it just really t took off. Hmm. Why is it a nonprofit organization, and how does that work? Yeah, I'd say the most simple answer is we just we don't have shareholders. We never have. Mm -hmm. um, and as a nonprofit, we put uh, our annual surpluses right back into the organization. Um, we have the additional IRS designation, as I mentioned, the 501c3 nonprofit, and that's really based on our educational efforts um, with the state not just being ahead in the bed, um, but really about what we're trying to accomplish from a uh, experiential learning standpoint. Hmm. And are your employees volunteers? How many do you have? Yeah, good question. Um, uh, we have both employees and volunteers. And i got to say our typical lodging, administrative systems, all that work is fully compensating employees. This is both with competitive pay and good benefits. However, also, we also have this, this strong, really strong group of volunteers that support us through our board of governance, so we have a national board, but also then help us host virtual travel webinars, 
um, sort of like what we're doing today <laughs> for a chat, mm-hmm. uh, and facilitate our hostel-based um, city tours and in-hostel activities. Prior to COVID, uh, we actually had about 1,100 volunteers across the country. Um, it's because of COVID, we really shrunk down, and we're starting to kind of come back, and so we're down to about 120 volunteers at this point that have helped, have helped a lot during COVID with virtual programs, web-based programs, um, and that that core of volunteers is kind of is coming back here as we come out of COVID, and, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure, get back to that about 1,100 volunteers um, here very shortly. Oh, that's great. We're talking Hosteling International USA with Aaron Chafee. Aaron, hosteling sounds like a concept more accepted by Europeans than Americans. So what percentage of your guests would you say are international? Yeah, you're you're right about this in general. And we probably need to throw in Australians in there, too, because uh, they're big hostlers, too. <laughs> um, and in Europe, there's a considerable government support for youth travel and the concept of hostels. So that kind of explains what the increased interest is. Um, but interestingly, for U.S. folks, there is actually some hostel awareness or almost strong hostel awareness, but it's mainly about hostels in Europe and Asia, not about the ones here in the U.S. And it continues to be perceived as something for more of that kind of epic gap year, college extended travel (laughs) abroad trip. Um, So we, you know, so we see that play out with with the question. So we see that play out um, in our numbers, which are typically around 70% are international guests. Um, Even if this is going to shock you, but even during COVID, um, uh, and, and the testing requirements to get inbound into the U.S. for international folks, we're still at about 60%. Um, so just interesting. Um, now, um, now I've got to mention, though, while we're chatting about this, we'd love for more U.S. residents to explore U.S. locations. Um, and just for folks that are listening in, just think about the conversations and exchanges you can have in our common areas with so many cultures. So I've just said there's 70% there that's international. So there's a lot of cultures that are staying with us and the ability to interact while you're just even staying in the U.S. and not traveling abroad. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the mission of hosteling, Aaron? Yeah, so, you know, we've got, we've got the formal statement. It's a real strong one. Um, to help all, especially the young, gain a greater understanding of the world and its people through hosteling. Um, you know, I, I want to expand and define that a little bit more probably, but um, we, we use the power of travel, um, especially cultural travel and shared experiences to foster deeper understanding of people, places, and the world around, um, really kind of leading to more tolerance, understanding, awareness, um, increased intercultural um, um, peaceful respect basically is what we're what we're working on so yeah we're we're doing dorms we're doing hostels um, but we're about something that's uh, a little bit more um, bigger than that and it's really about this intercultural understanding mm-hmm. and where do most of your guests come from um, you know uh, even even I want to mention even with the high high count that I mentioned we got to kind of remember we still got the US for 30 to 40 percent um, but um, and they're coming from all over the United States. Um, but um, uh, but just to to give a context to this, we've we've had even during COVID, we had 170 different nationalities visiting us over the last two years. Sometimes that's just one person from a country. Um, so there's lots of different countries visiting us. 
but the big inbound countries, um, they're, they're countries that are big into hustling, but it's UK, France, Germany, Australia, Japan, um, Brazil. Uh, and of course, I, I, I better be careful and, and not forget um, to mention Canada and Mexico, our neighbors. <laughs> How many hostels do you have and where are they? Well, we've got 15 that we directly own and operate. Um, now, i got to mention, I, I don't, I don't want to get sad on these things, but that's down from about 30 that was pre-COVID. Um, as I mentioned, this has not been a fun two years. Um, and But just the loss of our properties or buildings doesn't match the loss of life. So, But let's let's try to stay positive here. Um, there's They're in the big cities. They're in Boston, Chicago, New York, L.A., San Francisco, San Diego. Um, and then we've got six really cool coastal, what we call coastal access properties. Um, three are in the San Francisco Bay Area. Three are out in Massachusetts, Cape Cod area. Um, and then we also throw in this amazing Victorian uh, Victorian mansion in Sacramento. Um, it's a unique property. It's uh, been the thing's massive, um, and it's been moved four times uh, since it was built, and two times while we had it. I won't go into the details of why it got moved, but it just um, is just fun uh, note about that property. Um, and then we do also. We license the the use, and other countries do this too. We license the use of the global high brand to independent operators too. They got to meet all our standards and all that stuff too. But um, so we've got some other hostels out there, about eleven, um, that are using the, the international high brand uh, in cities such as Seattle, Portland, Philadelphia, and, you know, and some smaller cities like Santa Cruz and Colorado Springs also. Um, but definitely, you can find out more on our hostels at highusa.org. Uh, and for the international hostels, there's a link from our site, highusa.org. Um, but you also can visit highhostels.com uh, to, to learn more about the whole international group of hostels. Oh, You're listening to Travelish Radio with Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent Lee. We're on iTunes and blogtalkradio.com, or you can check out the archive show on Facebook after airing. Aaron, overall, is it accurate to say Hosteling International is a century old and has something like 4,000 hostels in 80 countries? Uh, yeah, you, you caught the age, um, and, and that was an earlier comment I made. So, um, so it's been a pretty long time. Um, and we, for the counts, we do continue to share um, on our website the hospital counts you just referenced. Um, I'll have to say COVID's been a little rough, and we'll have to see kind of how things go along here a little bit. And we might have the numbers a little bit lower, um, but there's uh, light at the end of the tunnel. More hospitals are reopening, and those numbers, uh, we hope to get back um, um, to those numbers, although they're pretty, they represent pretty well. So that's a pretty big number, 4,000 hospitals. Um, um, and we hope to get right back to that by next year. A hostel does not mean a hostile environment, quite the opposite from what I hear. So let's hear about the accommodations. You mentioned that guests share communal spaces, including kitchens and bathrooms, or does that depend on the location? Um, yeah, thanks for teeing that up, the under unfortunate sound and the similarity with hostile, um, but we're <laughs> far from it. Uh, we've got high standards for our sleeping rooms and our bathrooms. Um, the, that you know, for those that have hosteled for years or, or you know, long ago hostel, 
Um, you know, we've left, I only won't go into trying to defining for listeners what, what this means, but folks that have hostels long ago, they'll understand. We've left behind things called sleep sacks and having to drag around a towel with you. Um, all those things are provided for you. Uh, I mean, you know, if you're thinking hostels are really rustic, I mean, it's, you know, as simple as, yeah, there's soap and shampoo dispensers and all the showers. You know, if you're in, it doesn't matter if you're in a private room or you're in a shared dorm. Um, it's true. There's a mix of bathrooms depending on the location. Um, some will probably resemble, not probably will resemble your local gym, um, but with good privacy of the, of the fixtures. Um, and at other uh, locations, the bathrooms are more single use, whether in the room or kind of or in the hall. That's kind of that European approach to a hotel. Um, and and for all of our properties, uh, we've got great guest kitchens um, for all to use and great common lounge spaces. Some are huge, some of the smaller properties, some are a little more cozy, um, but um, yeah, but they're, uh, they're great. And there's definitely nothing about how we approach the interaction between staff and guests and the layout of the facilities that resemble anything for the unfortunate similarity in our, our name to, um, to hostile. Um, so <laughs> thanks for that question. Well, as, as a writer for, for many years, I love plays on words, so had to do that. I want to ask you, too, is free breakfast included with most hostel stays? Yeah, you know, Dan, we, we, we took a pause on breakfast, I will have to say. So, yes, in a way, we took a pause on breakfast during COVID, um, but we're going to reintroduce it fully in July. Um, you know, um, don't, you know, don't expect an omelet, chef. Um, you know, our focus is really on interaction that can happen with all the guests sitting around the da- dining room table. So that's why we love breakfast. It brings everybody together so we can get that interaction happening. Um, but, yeah, but the quick answer is by July we'll be back having kind of a breakfast at our hostels. Now, Aaron, hosteling is focused on sustainability. What exactly does that mean, and what are your efforts on the brand and individual hostel level? Yeah, thanks for the question. It's it's, it's really important, and it's uh, it's been really important for for kind of ever and ever um, for us. So, um, you know, we, we've you know we've matched the progressive um, hotel chains and brands out there for a long time. Whether this is compact compact fluorescent LED lighting, water mindful fixtures, uh, Energy Star appliances, you, you got recycling, let alone just recycling in common areas, you got recycling going on in your guest rooms. You know, we're, we've been there, we're doing all that. Um, but we try to get kind of more creative and, and do things that are even beyond that. So we've got, we've been testing out and we're deploying these cool shower heads that change color uh, with messaging in the in the bathrooms too, so folks know what's going on. But with LED lights in the shower head, they change colors based upon the duration of your shower. And we're trying to explain, yeah, it's beneficial to the hostel if you can, um, you know, cut down the time you're in the shower and not go into the the red zone on the colors on the LED. But what we're trying to encourage is that when you go home, now realize how long the shower is, and if you can just shave off one minute off your shower, mm. get it trained in your head. Think about all the water that you're going to save and all the energy to heat that water. Um, you know, other things that we do are um, we, we add for our electri- electricity use. Um, we, if there's an opportunity to purchase green power and that actually comes to your building that way, we're doing that. Yeah, or we use something that's called renewable energy credits. 
Um, so basically all of our electricity that we're using, we're making sure in some form or fashion we're supporting that that's renewable um, uh, energy uh, um, that's, uh, that's, that's source, where we're sourcing our electricity from. Um, and then we're also really strong um, supporters and aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals um, and also something called um, Global Sustainable Tourism Council's uh, efforts um, also with their standards um, for sustainability. Um, so, yeah, we're, we've been doing it for a long time. We meet, you know, hotel brands and everybody, what everybody's doing, and then we just kind of try to get creative and do things that we can step even beyond that. Well, it sounds really impressive. And speaking of health and environmental concerns, are all of your member properties smoke-free? And you did mention COVID. What steps have you been taking to protect guests from COVID? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, for a long time we've been 100% smoke-free, and then, but yeah, the COVID um, challenge has been there. And let me tell you, we we really stepped up. Uh, we followed, you know, through the whole process, followed all local requirements. Um, stepping beyond that, to whenever there was CDC guidance, that was even. Um, more um, constraint. Uh, we, follow, we followed CDC guidance. Um, and, you know, something that's been getting a lot of press is the concerns over ventilation um, in buildings. So we reviewed all of that um, for the, our me- mechanical ventilation, really looking at our shared dorms and those spaces. And where it just kind of was like we went, mm, I don't, I, you know, I, I, we're good. You know, everybody says we're good, but we, we question this a little bit. So we've deployed, um, it's basically NASA technology for these air purifiers that we've stuck in um, dorms where we had any question uh, uh, that we had a concern. Um, so we've, uh, and that, obviously, we've, uh, by following all the requirements and the CDC guidance, you know, we're, we're all over where we've been at certain times with masks and cleaning and respiratory hygiene and doing all those things. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a, uh, we've really applied ourselves. We're talking Hosteling International USA with Aaron Chafee. Aaron, what do you think are some of the great misconceptions Americans have about traveling in general and hosteling in particular? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Dan, good, good question. Um, maybe I'll, I'll mention a few here. Um, cost. Um, uh, for many, it just seems out of reach. Um, and, and we hope we have the model that can help with that. Uh, through these shared accommodations. Um, you know, also what we've introduced, and we'll come back to doing more of these as we come out of the kind of the financial constraints of COVID, um, something called Explore America and Explore the World Scholarships um, to even help that gap more. So folks uh, that are of financial need have the ability to apply for scholarships um, that we then grant to folks so they can explore um, America and another set that can explore um, the world. Um, and I think another one is um, just the welcome. Um, this is kind of this concept of why, where is the challenge with travel for folks? Um, and we need to make sure our hostels are really inclusive um, and provide kind of that needed feeling of safety. And, and we're really out there encouraging other lodging providers to do that. Um, I think we all need to be aware of the concerns of, of historically underrepresented groups when it comes to travel or other things, but travel specifically. And we just need to make travel very diverse and very inclusive. Um, 
Uh, and for hostels, um, you know, you should know, folks, the listeners here, they just need to know that we have really strong operational standards. Um, so you, sh you should give us a try, um, whether it's in a dorm or in a private room. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy it, and there shouldn't be any fear out there. Aaron, tell us about some of the unique experiences you can have at a high hostel, such as group tours or events. I've been a host for sports travel and tours and a lecturer for Rhodes Scholar at Baseball Spring Training. So are those programs similar or competitive to hosteling? Uh, yeah, you know, there's some similarities. I don't know if I'd, I'd say that it's competition. <laughs> um, you know, interesting, Road Scholar, uh, you know, that started as Elder Hostel. So they, they had the hostel's name in there back in the 70s, too, and the 80s, too. So, um, you know, the majority of our programs, uh, both in hostels and our, our outing tours, um, they're facilitated by our volunteers. We really tap into that group's joy to share. Um, each of our programs is screened and developed based upon the Association of American Colleges and Universities' value rubrics, kind of basically a um, learning outcomes view. Um, and, and, but we try to really also have the fun factor, uh, which is so important for experiential learning. And in no way makes us feel like you're in school. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so programs, whether they're virtual or at the hostels right now, we've got things like a uh, walking tour called Social Movements of San Francisco. We've got in Chicago, um, Chicago music from blues to hip-hop rap. Uh, we've got importance of study abroad for students of color. We've got women travel, um, traveling solo 101. Um, and then we've got this great thing that we do every September 21st or right around that called Sleep for Peace, where we build a lot of programming around that. Um, that happens to be mm -hmm. the United Nations International Day of Peace. And so we kind of created this concept of sleep for peace during International Day of Peace. Oh, that's beautiful. Would you say hosteling is strictly for young people or for anyone interested in budget travel? Uh, yeah, it's, it's for everybody, not just for the young. We used to be, we legally were American Youth Hostels. You hear that youth. Uh, we switched what we brand ourselves to get that youth out of there. So um, everybody can feel comfortable and definitely we're for everybody. Hmm. We're talking Hosteling International USA with Aaron Chafee. Aaron, just a few minutes left. Tell us when there's a special event somewhere, such as the Baseball All-Star Game or Hall of Fame Induction Weekend, can people book hostels or are they limited in size? Also, how far ahead should potential guests book for holiday weekends? Yeah, no, yeah, definitely uh, they're open for folks during those special events. Um, you know, you should be kind of mindful of it a little bit uh, and maybe book ahead when you see, you know, some important times like that. But if you're just looking for a bed as an individual person, we'll figure out usually a way to squeeze you in. I'm not saying we create beds, but, um, you know, we, we want people to see, feel free and independent when they travel. Um, so kind of that last-minute stuff, we want to make sure folks are okay with that. But, yeah, if there's a major event, um, maybe plan ahead a little bit. Uh, we usually have reservations open almost a year in advance um, for any given date. And does Hosteling International USA have frequent user programs such as airlines and hotels do? We actually, we've forever, uh, we've got our own kind of membership program. So actually for the U.S., you're required to be a member. Uh, and so all the rates that we list are member rates. And now you can get a daily membership 
but we also have annual memberships and life memberships. And just discuss how simple this is. I mean, an annual membership is only $18, so it's not an incredible amount of money. But by doing that approach, we're able to constantly have member rates for everybody that stays with us because everybody that stays with us, we're requiring membership. Aaron, how do Travel Witch Radio listeners learn more about Hostowing International USA? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Uh, hi, US, it's a real simple address, highusa.org. Um, so you learn all about us there, uh, access to our hostels, bookability uh, to our hostels, uh, and then the link to the international hostels will be there too. Our special guest tonight has been Aaron Chafee of Hostel International USA. Thank you, Aaron, for being our guest tonight on Travel with Radio. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate the opportunity and glad to chat uh, with your listeners about hostels and high USA. It for this edition of Travel with Radio. Next week, same time, same station, same writer, same announcers. Our guest will be, we're going to head west, actually, for a visit to Catalina Island, California. I've been there, and I absolutely loved it. And by the way, the Chicago Cubs, Mary Ellen's team, used to have spring training there for a long time. Now, this is Dan Schlossberg, along with my beautiful and talented co-host, Mary Ellen Nugent Lee, saying thank you for your time this time, until next time, good night and stay safe.